Masks. No masks. Vaccine? No vaccine. Republican? Democrat? LGBTQ affirming? LGBTQ non-affirming? Trump? Biden? Pre-tribulation? Post-tribulation? Traditional worship? Contemporary worship? Bethel music, Hillsong music. These are just a few of the things that I've seen over the last few years pop up in my social feeds and have had in conversations. And this is what Christianity has been surrounded by and infused with for the last number of years. I've started calling it topical Christianity. It's this idea that our faith in Jesus has somehow become more about a specific topic and agenda that we have that we deem to be more important than it is about the message of Jesus Christ. We elevate these things within what we think is Christendom above the message of Jesus Christ, and we say, this is more important right now. Now, don't mistake me for saying that these things are not important. It's totally understandable for us to take a stance. In fact, we need to take a stance on things. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's okay to be passionate about things. But ultimately, when these questions, these conversations, these divisions rise up, I ask these three questions. Number one, does it cause the kingdom of Christ to advance? This thing that I am so obsessed with, that I, that I hold to a high standard, is it helping the kingdom of Christ advance in this world? Number two, does it bring people closer to Jesus or does it push them further away? That thing that you're so passionate about, is it leading people to Jesus? Number three, does it cause me and others to love God and to love others? You know, Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's everything that you are. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the important part. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When Jesus came, he came to change the game. See, the Jewish people had been living in law for too long. It was about these things, their agenda, all of these different things. And Jesus came to say, enough, I want you to know my love. So much so that he represented God in the flesh. He showed us physical love on this planet to show us what it is to love God and love others and to stop making it about law and rules and regulations. So this morning, we're going to take some time to talk through this idea by taking a look at the end of Mark 8, starting in verse 34. And we'll be in Mark 9 a little bit as well. I encourage you to turn there to Mark 8 if you want to in your phones. It'll be on the screen or on your, in your Bible if you actually bring your Bible to church. Good job. Mark 8, 34 says this. <clears throat> then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciples, whoever wants to follow my way, be a representation of who I am, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, 
but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So this morning, we're going to break this passage down into the three directives, the three commands that Jesus gives right off the bat. When he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must first deny themselves. So what is it to deny yourself? The word deny comes from these words, apo, which means away from, and arneomai, which means to say no. So this is saying that we need to move away from our wants and our desires and say no to ourself. We deny ourselves so that he can be magnified. That's the point here. Deny yourself so that Christ can be known and magnified in this world. It's a little bit like what I was talking about earlier. We can get so caught up in arguments about these topics that we deem important that we lose sight of the message of Christ. Sometimes we need to deny that. Say that's not the most important thing right now. Jesus is. See, we have this agenda, and if we look across, especially North America, and who says they're Christians, there's an agenda attached a lot of the time when they say that. It's not, I want to be a representation of Jesus Christ. It's, I want to be a Republican who's a Christian. I want to be a Democrat who's a Christian. I want to be this title, and then Christian is under that. That's not what we're called to do. Even the disciples struggled with this idea. If we look in chapter 9 and verse 33, they're on their way to Capernaum and Jesus catches a conversation and he calls them out on it. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, hey guys, what were you guys arguing about back there on the road? Now I want you to picture all of the disciples with their heads kind of hung sheepishly like, you heard that? Okay, um, I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything. Because they knew they had been caught. It says they kept quiet because on the way they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called them together and he said, guys, come here. I want to teach you something. I heard what you said. Here's the reality. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of all. So again, Jesus is going to flip it. He wants to change everything. And in this moment, I picture my kids. And if you're a parent or if you've been around kids, you have heard this argument. I'm better than you. Nuh-uh, I am. Nuh-uh, I am. Nuh-uh, I am. And I just picture the disciples doing that of like, I'm the greatest. Nuh-uh, I am. Let's arm wrestle about it. What's up? You know, like they have this masculine mentality. But probably in reality, what was happening is one of them was saying, I'm closer to Jesus because I believe this. I'm closer to Jesus because I believe this. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not getting it. It's not about what your agenda is. It's about following me and doing what I'm doing. And what am I doing? I'm serving people. I'm loving people. And that's what you're supposed to do. It reminds me of, of Christendom today. We've spent centuries fighting over who is right We've had these conversations, these divisions over and over again, so much so that the church today is more divided than it has ever been. 
A number of years ago, my brother, uh, he was in ministry for about 12 years and felt called out, and he moved down to Charleston, South Carolina to become a police officer. It was a big change and a big shock to the family, but we've seen God move in many, many miraculous ways down there, and he's been able to continue ministry. But when we first moved, or when he first moved down there, I went down there and visited, and he was like, hey, do you notice all the churches here? And I said, yeah, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of churches. That's awesome. And he was like, yeah, I guess so. And I said, what are you, what's going on here? And he's like, I don't see it as a positive. And I was like, why? He said, the reason there's so many churches here and why they dubbed Charleston the holy city, he actually said there's, uh, the rumors, there's more churches per capita in Charleston than there is anywhere else in the United States. He said, there's more churches here because there's so much division within the church. No one can get along with each other, and when they have an issue, they just start another church. And for those of you that have been in Charleston and driven around, you have seen churches block after block after block. You've seen home churches and neighborhoods. You've seen it all over the place. And it's a representation of what is happening in the church as a whole. We cannot unify and deny ourselves. We're so busy with our agendas and what we want to be done and heard and said that the church is divided. See, the people of God are unwilling to unify because they're not willing to deny themselves and secondly, to take up their cross, which is what Jesus tells us to do. And the word here used in this passage is histemi, which means to make, to stand, establish, or appoint. So when we think of crucifixion, of taking up our cross, we think of what Jesus did. He took that cross beam, he carried it through, and this is what Roman culture did. When you were accused you were going to die, they had you carry this through the streets, you went to the cross, they lashed that beam to the upright beam. A lot of times there'd be a slot in the ground, they'd put that in. Really what Jesus is getting at is that idea of planting it in the ground, to stand, to appoint, to establish this thing. You see, crucifixion was common in Roman culture, but they didn't know what we know, that Jesus was headed to the cross. He was giving them a picture of what's to come, but he was also telling them, I want you to stand up for the, the way of the cross, for Jesus, for my message. I want you to stand up for that. He's telling them to make a stand, to stand firm in the way. This new message that I'm bringing, this is what it's about. Don't let it be about yourself. Make it about this thing that we're establishing. See, for so long, the Pharisees had made it about rules and done exactly what I'm talking about this morning. They had pointed to rules. They had elevated certain rules above others and said, this is what it's about. We're going to punish you if you do this thing. And people were lost. There was division everywhere. My dad did a message a number of years ago where he talked about the Jewish law, how what had happened was is there was this one specific law that they weren't supposed to do. And instead of saying, don't do that, they were like, don't do this, but let's create another law so we don't get close to this law. And let's create another law so we don't get close to that law. And let's create another law. And it became so much about law so that they wouldn't commit this one original sin here that they lost the game, they lost everything, and it just became about following rules, guidelines. So he's saying, saying to the disciples, we're changing it. Jesus is saying, take a stand for this new way that I'm telling you about. All the law and the prophets, everything that they're saying you need to do, all of it can be summed up in two things. Love God, my Father, and love others. And he's saying the same to us today. David E. Garland says, Jesus spells out the fine print of the requirements of discipleship. 
The cross is not his to bear alone. It is necessary not only as a means of redemption, but as a way of life that disciples must bear. That's you and I must bear if they want to be his disciples. They too will face suffering and will be tempted to take an easier path that sidesteps and calls for the sacrifice. You know what's an easier path sometimes? To make Christianity about one thing. One thing that it's not about. Because we can hyperfixate on that thing and think we're doing the right thing. But Jesus said it's about loving God and loving others. See, this, this idea that we need to have in our hearts today is that there's a cost to following Jesus. That taking up your cross is hard, it's difficult. We read this earlier in Mark 8, 35 through 37. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. You're going to have to give up things, deny yourself. But whoever loses their life, when you do this, for me in the gospel, you're going to save your life. You're going to find more life when you give up what you want. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So, Sometimes that cost is letting go of what we think is more important so that the message of Christ can be heard by this world. He doesn't say, take up your soapbox and rant and rave online. He says, take up the cross, which represents my message, my way. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Follow me, the word is akulutheo, which means to accompany, to travel with, but mostly in a subservient or following position. So when he says, follow me, he's saying, come alongside me, be with me, be in my presence. We'll do this together. Serve the way. Take the way of Jesus, not your way, but his, not your path, but his. Again, David E. Garland says, Jesus tells his disciples to follow the way he has chosen, not the way they would choose for themselves. Jesus does not need a convoy of followers who marvel at his deeds but fail to follow his example. The procession he envisages is a rare sight. Disciples following after their master each carrying a cross. The imagery means the disciple must obey what he says about giving their lives. Can you imagine if the people of God would do what we're called to do? How different this world would be if we could stop fighting, if we could be unified under the banner of Jesus Christ, how much of an impact would be made? We could be showing the love of God and love to people in a tangible way, not just talking about it on Sundays, not just reading about it and not following through, but we could actually be living that out. Instead, I have this dreadful feeling that the world views us as Christians the way the adulterous woman viewed her accusers. See, there's this story in Scripture of a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. And all of these 
Pharisees and different people were like, we're going to trap Jesus in this situation because this is a no-win situation. Our law says she should be stoned. So they bring her before Jesus, and Jesus is quiet, head hung, drawing in the sand. They're ranting and raving. They're on their soapbox. This woman has sinned. She's, she's an awful person. Our law says to stone her. What are you going to do about it, teacher? Jesus doesn't get up on their soapbox and start pointing out her faults. What he does is he says, hey, if any of you have sinned, go ahead and cast that first stone. Because the reality is, for all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. I think we forget that sometimes. We're too busy as the church pointing out the adulterous woman, pointing out the faults of others, the negativity, the sin of others. See, this woman is seeing her accusers, and she's seeing them as people who are choosing to view her faults, her failings, her sin, who are unwilling to listen to her, who are choosing hate over love. The brother of Jesus, his name is James, he writes this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The issue is, is that we choose to skip over the be slow to speak and slow to become angry, and we get right to get rid of all moral filth. So we start to point out the moral filth in everyone else in this world. See, the men that came before Jesus that day, they're a reflection of a lot in this world who claim Christianity. We choose judgment over the things we deem to be more sinful instead of reflecting on our own hearts and choosing to live out Jesus' call. We're quick to speak, quick to post online, quick to become angry. Recently, I saw a quick interview with Justin Bieber's wife. Just popped up in my social feed. Wasn't searching for it. It's not something I look for. But she was talking, and she said, you know what I like to do when I'm on Instagram and I see a negative comment? Someone saying that I'm a slut or that I'm a bad person. I like to click on their profile. She said, 90% of the time when I click on someone's comment in their profile, what I see is a young mom that says, lover of Jesus. Philippians 4.13 in their profile. That should grieve us. It grieves me. It's not a representation of Jesus. See, in Matthew 7, Jesus says this to us, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We are not called to judge. That is not our job. We are given the command to love. And Jesus chose to love this adulterous woman instead of judgment. His response was to tell those men, hey, if you've sinned, go ahead and throw that stone. None of them could do that. None of us can do that. 
He then turned to the woman and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And a woman who had just been facing death, who was scared for her life, who probably had her head hung in shame, was now lifting her head, seeing there was no one else there except for Jesus. But he didn't leave it at that. He didn't just say, where are your accusers? Go home. He offered her something. He said, go and sin no more. Here's why this is important. Jesus didn't lead with hate. Jesus didn't lead with judgment. He led with grace and love. And by doing that, he opened a door of communication with this woman. He challenged her to a better way. He didn't just say go. He said go and sin no more. And he did it without judgment. He did it without presenting fault. He simply led with grace and love. And then suddenly she was able to lift her head and have ears to hear and a heart that was softened to choose a different way. But what we see online and in the media and even in our own neighborhoods is the opposite of that. He didn't post on social media that he was right and she was wrong. He didn't make a display out of it. In fact, he was one-on-one with her on her level. He lived out love God and love others. You can't be a Christian and wear a mask. You can't be a Christian and get a vaccine. You can't be a Christian and vote for that candidate. You can't be a Christian and be a part of that political party. I've seen that posted online. I've heard it said to people. I know of an individual who left this church and is no longer attending church because they were told you cannot be a Christian and be a Democrat. Let's do better. Let's be better. Be passionate about those things. That's fine. Be passionate about the things that you want to be passionate about, that you think are important. As long as they align with Jesus, be passionate about it. But don't let them get in the way of the message of Christ. Stop and ask those questions. Does it cause the kingdom of Christ to advance? Does it bring people closer to Jesus or is it pushing them further away? Does it cause me and others to love God And to love others, to fulfill that command where all the law is summed up in that, am I I doing that? See, if non-Christians feel like they can't come to church because of their fear of judgment, they're going to go somewhere else where they're going to be accepted and they may never hear the life-saving, life-changing, life-giving message of Christ. And if Christians can't come to church without fear of being told that they are not held to an individual standard of faith again and again because they differ in their viewpoint, eventually they'll feel defeated. They'll leave the church and maybe even leave the faith altogether. So let's deny ourselves. Let's take up the cross, the way of Jesus, and follow him. 
the best we can. I know it's not easy. Don't make it about one specific topic that you may be passionate about. Make it about the passionate love of Jesus who was willing to give it all up on the cross for us and everyone else. That person you want to fight with after the service online because they posted something you disagree with, he died for them. That person that's living a different lifestyle in this moment and you want to judge them, he died for them. He didn't just die for us in this church who are comfortable in air conditioning. He died for everyone. And we need to offer a reflection of that love to his people. Let's be like Jesus, who had every right to be bitter, to express his loathing for people, to cast judgment as they spit on him, as they called him names, as they whipped him, as they nailed him to a tree, and yet he kept quiet until he was about to draw his last breath. And instead of saying, you're all going to hell because of the way you live, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He showed grace. He showed love with his last breath. I know this was a hard message to hear. It was a hard one to give. I like to close out teaching with a time of reflection, and I just encourage you to reflect on these words, to let the Spirit speak to you, and hopefully the words that were mine will just fall away. But we want it to be all about Jesus, and I just encourage you to sing this song as, as we close and wrap up this morning. fires in your gaze Jesus I want you to know I will follow you all my days For no one else in history is like you in history to sing along these words.
again ask and pray that what was spoken here today that anything that came from my opinion would fall away that your spirit would continue to move in us and challenge us as I've been challenged this week God to know that it is all about you it's not about us help us to deny ourselves to take up the way of the cross and to follow you to be a good reflection of Jesus Christ in this world so that people may come to know you and find your grace and your love. Help us, God, to love God and love others the way we were commanded to. Thank you for this reminder, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Amen.